I don't know why I'm so tired. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alicia and I took like a three-hour nap today. Nice. So we're both kind of, for a little bit, we're very groggy. Yeah. Trying to get ready. Man, I hope this episode's not boring. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Star Wars Historians Podcast. This is your co-host Luke, alongside my other the other co-host, David. And What's up everyone? And we are continuing our Star Wars Rewatch series. Um and uh the day that this is be- being recorded, I don't probably not the day that's being released. Um the just yesterday we have a whole new um crop of star wars material to cover on disney plus so oh yeah for sure i'm looking forward to that we've not talked about it yet before this point so i'm sorry that i'm just kind of springing it on you david i just kind of assumed that we would talk about those things eventually yeah yeah i i'm excited for it it's it's interesting because i'm under the impression that it might be the first material that has been put on Disney Plus that is not necessarily canon. Yeah, I think. It, I mean, at the very least, it's like, it's yeah, it's th- and not only that, but it's also the material that was decanonized the first. Like, I think. Yeah, I yeah, I believe so. Which is not going to affect the desire for me to watch it. No, and I think there's a lot of good things that can come out of. Especially when you talk about the 2003 Clone Wars series. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, the, the Tartakovsky uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars one is great. And um, whenever it first came out perfectly, it was like designed to bridge the gap between two and three. Uh, so. And I think it did that well yeah. also. I think that needs to be said. But what I'm excited about is actually... It might be a shock and surprise for some people, but it's the Ewok. Yeah. You know, like content. The Ewok. I've never seen it before. Uh, the Caravan of Courage. Yeah. Um, I'm Yeah, I'm also looking forward to those. Um, I talked with somebody, a, a customer at a establishment that I work at, who was talking about how he, he grew up watching uh, the Ewok show and, and stuff like that. Wow. And so... He thought, he thought that it was all like real cheesy and terrible, so we'll, we'll just have to see... <laughs> Uh, yeah uh but i'm ready for it i'm I'm excited for that yeah stuff and we'll review it you know hopefully we should, next we season, should come maybe. up with a good like um a good title like into the archives or if it's yeah not which archives, we have for the books exist. yeah the the books we the the what we we've called that series which we need to get into jedi lost here pretty we do, soon because i but, also need to <laughs> I need to say something about it before I forget literally everything that happens in it. Yeah, uh, but we call you know our book reviews you know reviewing the archives, and so I think we can have something along those kind of but like a subsection of what. But then it does tonight, not exist. <laughs> yeah, but today we are walking through the first ever Star Wars content 
that has ever come out. The OG. Actually, that's not true. The first Star Wars content was the comic book, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, I guess I'm talking about more film than anything else. The first thing that Uh, is considered canon currently. Yes, yes. Uh, And it's A New Hope. Luke, what were your kind of your first impression? And I I guess I shouldn't say first impressions because this came out before we did. Right. Even on the rewatch, like what 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 are your thoughts on it? So obviously I think I, I like this movie a lot and I think it's really good and one of the best Star Wars movies um there is. Uh one thing that I really thought about though was I, I really tried to situate myself in the position of somebody who was watching it for the first time. And I've just kind of come to the conclusion that A New Hope is a really weird movie. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just like, um, it starts off very weirdly. And you, you would almost think that like R2-D2 and C-3PO are the main characters or something. Because it's not until like 15 minutes in that you even meet Luke. But but yeah. I think it's still a good movie and it still holds up. Uh, prop work and set design is still wonderful today. Yeah, I absolutely agree. For me, whenever I was rewatching it, I was watching it with my wife who falls asleep during the original trilogy. I remember looking at turning to her and I said, you know, this movie actually is really slow, like to start because of, like you said, the first two characters that we really stay with. I mean, we're introduced to Princess Leia and Darth Vader and Governor Tarkin and all of them and the Empire. But we really stay with C-3PO and R2-D2 for quite a bit, you know, when this movie starts. But I think when you take this movie in as a whole, there is something to be said about this film is what launched everything else. Yeah. Like, based on what happened in this movie and how it was received in 1977, it shaped the galaxy that we still love and we're still exploring today with new and different content. This is what started it all. Yeah. And I think mixed with that and just just my sheer enjoyment of this film, I have this number two on my ranking. Mm. Uh, just because when, every time I watch it, I'm I'm just mesmerized by the simplicity of it. At like sometimes, especially when you're talking about looking at good and evil, mm-hmm. there's a clear distinction of good and evil. Even when you look at someone like Han Solo, right? Of, you know, he's a scoundrel and and he's a smuggler. And yes, he is arrogant and selfish at times in this movie, but ultimately, you know what side he's going to be on, right? Um, and you can definitely tell this movie was aimed more towards kids. You think so? A lot of people would say that that doesn't really start until Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but I would think that people would say that because of the Ewoks. Right, that is the main reason why. And and yeah. I think this is going to turn out to be a big uh, discussion point whenever we talk about that rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, do you think that A New Hope is, is kid-centered, audience-wise? I watching you know the the documentary on the making of the original trilogy like a million uh, times yeah watching that like a lot of people even on set that thought that this was a kid's movie Mm -hmm. like 
that was the that was just the overall vibe and i don't think it solely serves as a kid's movie um obviously not because i mean you still have a lot of people who clamor for this as being a very good film that they can watch not just a kid's movie um but the, I, I guess the only thing I would think about that is even if they might have thought that – even if, like, the people who were filming it might have thought it was kind of, like, of a kiddie movie, it also has more to say about, like, the time that they were in. Like, yeah, where sci-fi sure. yeah. and fantasy isn't meant to be, like, this real, like, artistic stuff. But it's mm-hmm. – at, at that point, most sci-fi was pretty lame <laughs> altogether. Yeah, no – no, I agree. And, but even when we're talking about, you know, this being a kid's film, I guess I don't mean it in the same sense of, oh, this is like something you would see on, you know, the kids section of Netflix or right. something like that. Um, I just think that kids can relate to this film a I, lot, I think, especially especially following the adventures of Luke and Leia and Han. Yeah, I think it's especially... And, and you might mean this age group whenever you say kids too, but I think it's especially kind of pointed towards teenagers, uh, teenagers oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. the 70s who, like Luke, are probably tired of kind of not going anywhere in their lives or not getting to hang out with their friends or things like that. And so they're really able to... Or going uh, to a specific Tashi station to pick up some power Just pick converters. up some power converters. The, the boyhood dream of every teenage male. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I, I think there's a lot of people who complain about how whiny Luke is in this movie. Um, yeah. But I think he is supposed to be a very relatable character. And I think it's actually, uh, uh, there's a few different times where I realized that the flaws of Luke in this movie are kind of expertly done to the benefit of the viewer. Hmm. Yeah, I, I and I agree with that. Whenever Luke Luke was complaining or whining, it seemed on screen, it I I always understood why specifically. Yeah. Um, especially when Aunt Beru she says Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He has too much of his father in him. That's what I'm afraid and, of. And here's the important thing, especially when looking at this rewatch series, we had to watch five films before we got to this one true and so we have to look at it through that lens of luke wanted something more than what his uncle was having him do i also was kind of really focused on on this rewatch of fitting it into the greater Mm -hmm. like context and it reminded me of what Palpatine says to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, where he says, uh, ever since I've known you, you've been searching for a life greater than that of an ordinary Jedi, a life of significance. And in the same yes. way, Luke is is looking for something off of this this dry planet, this place that's further furthest away from the light in the center of the universe. Um, he wants more than the life of an ordinary farmer. He wants a life of significance. And, and it's because also he we know that this he's extremely talented. I mean, when when he's talking with Ben, and Ben said when he's talking through who his father was, and you know he was he was a warrior. Uh, he was a great pilot. Po- pilot. Also, I've heard that you're quite a bit of a pilot yourself. Yeah. 
if if Obi Wan, who's a, a hermit in a in a small apartment somewhere just by himself, knows that <laughs> Luke's a good pilot, then he's probably a really good pilot. And yes. I, I picked up on that um, in the the Death Star trench run this time is that he approaches it differently than everybody else because he's like barreling down, he's going at full speed, and even to the point where Biggs is like, "Hey, do you think are you going to be able to pull up after this?" And uh, he does, and he just you get to see this payoff of Luke as a really good pilot. Yeah. And, and especially when you're looking at Biggs, what he says towards the end of the film, when, you know, red leader is, is, is kind of talking to both of them. He says, are you sure you can handle this? And, he, and he's like, sir, Luke is the best outer rim uh, pilot in or best pilot in the outer rim territories. Yeah. Um, and so the, he, he, he knows that he can do more than what he's doing now. Right. And so why wouldn't we expect a character like him, especially given to who Anakin was to, again, that's what makes the line. He has too much of his father in him. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what makes it work so much is, is when you're able to connect these things together. It, It really just, tells the story again beautifully obviously because this is again the direction of one man one man's vision and that's george lucas yeah who went through a lot to make this film happen and it paid off i would say oh 100 percent um the other thing that i was thinking about uh i want to elaborate on a point that i said earlier is that a lot of times whenever Luke is like whining. He's actually asking questions in order to inform the audience. So there's like different things like um, whenever he's on the Millennium Falcon, especially, and something starts lighting up or beeping. And he's like, what, what's, what's that? that what's going on? <laughs> what's that flashing? <laughs> and, and, you know, the audience in 1976 who's never encountered Star Wars or not 76, 77, um, has never encountered Star Wars is not going to know anything about how anything works in the universe. And so there's yeah. several points where because Luke is this kind of this guy from a backwater planet um, and he's asking questions about the universe, because of that, we're able to learn more about the universe kind of through his own kind of his, his logical questions that he raises. Like, what is the force? Or how did my father die? Or different things like that. Yeah, and those things, uh, which... I'm going to say this, and Luke, I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. The scene where Ben Kenobi is explaining what happened to Luke's father. I My mind always goes back to Obi-Wan has PTSD yeah. or Before the Dark Times, which is my favorite one. And, and if you don't know what those are, those are uh, two YouTube videos that cut together a bunch of Star Wars scenes together in the framework of Obi-Wan thinking about how he's going to respond to Luke's question here. And it's, it's very yeah. impactful. And, and I 100% agree. That's why, like, from the begin from, from Obi-Wan saying hello there to uh, Obi-Wan saying, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy my emotions are just always just like on the peak, like always about to cry yeah. at any time. <laughs> yeah. Just because we, we're obviously meeting 
a Ben Kenobi who's had a lot of time to wrestle with everything that has happened to him, how the Jedi came to no longer exist, to him being described as an old hermit Mm -hmm. that we meet. Meeting and now being able to not just meet and he's met him before, you know, from the comics and stuff like that. But from being thrusted back into the world of this child's life, the child of his former best friend and his fallen, uh, like, brother. Yeah. Like, he has to revisit those emotions again. And so whenever you watch any one of those two videos... Like, you just can't help but get emotional over it because it's like, man, again, it's the the idea that Kenobi went through so much. This is this is his final kind of, not impact, because he obviously comes to Luke again several times. But it is the last time as a living being of flesh before he, pa- he passes on to be one with the Force. Mm-hmm. This is kind of his, like, curtain call, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, but let's let's go ahead and talk about. I mean, I feel like we've already been talking about things that we really enjoyed from this film. Uh, but what are some things that you just really love about A New Hope that just really makes this a great movie? Hmm. On the so, there's a few different things that immediately come to mind. Uh, one is I think there's a lot of times wherever the writing is really good and just kind of the delivery of lines is perfect. Uh, I, I had this thought earlier today that I think part of what sells Ben Kenobi as such a Im- important and compelling character is Alec Guinness's performance of him. And then, of course, later on, uh, Ewan McGregor's performance. Uh, both of those are like you, you see it in the face of uh, Alec Guinness whenever he hears Obi-Wan for the first time in however long, like his eyes get wider and he, he has to sit down and think about it for a moment. Um, which, which again, it just feeds, feeds into my emotions of knowing everything that Obi-Wan had to go through. Uh, so there, there's that. I think there's a lot of really good points of writing where it's just, it's just iconic lines. Like uh, Han being the first person to say this is where the fun begins. Or... Uh, just the force will be with you always like these are the things that are going to like be constant themes throughout star wars and uh uh did you have something else you did you have something you were gonna say well i i think that is the the whole the whole idea whenever just re-watching this movie is that when you watch it now you have to look at it through the lens of this is the movie, and I've said this before, but this is the movie that starts all of that. Yeah. Like, it starts our journey of understanding what the Force is. It starts our journey of hearing pretty much in every single movie, I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah. May the Force be with you. Um, just these iconic themes and these iconic, like, moments that just never leave you. There there are things in this film that just really change, not just star Wars and mm-hmm. created this world, but it also just changed how movies were made period. Yeah. Um, and, and the things that we're able to do, 
one of the things that I really enjoyed, and this is, I guess, how weird I am in, in terms of how close I pay attention to detail. But when they upload, I'm guessing when they release these on Disney Plus, they updated things. Yeah. So th- there were a lot of scenes that looked significantly better from a CGI standpoint. But also, when Luke turns on the lightsaber for the first time, I looked at it and said, that is the lightsaber that belonged to Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Like it wasn't like. It didn't look like how it usually did. Which sometimes it, it was just like a like it was like a scion color, yeah, lightsaber that didn't really match what lightsaber Anakin had. Yeah, it was a lot lighter. And the prequels, in the it was a lot lighter. But they made they made the lightsaber to where it it matched more what Anakin had. It also changed the look of Obi Wan's lightsaber in the cantina scene when he pulls it out and cuts mm-hmm. off that dude's arm. So like those things just really like caught my attention and caught my eye. Also, they put McClunky for Greedo. Um, you got to. You have to, which I thought was really funny because when he said it, it just got me thinking of the the Gallery of the Mandalorian season two when John Favreau had told Dave Filoni what his ideal was in that first episode of season two when Mando just leaves uh, this guy tied up by his foot and just starts walking away. He was going to, he wanted, he he asked Dave and Dave was just dying laughing. But he says, you know, when Mando shoots out the light, he should say McClunky. (laughs) And and then Dave was just like, stop. Like, no, you're just trying to do this to me. Uh, I wonder, but I just thought if it wasn't Dave, like who was it George who wanted McClunky in there? I have no idea. That is a great question. I have no idea. Um, it doesn't. It did. It, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't me bother that, me. I just don't know why it happened, and I think that's how most people respond to it. Yeah, and and I also have to say this: uh, when they changed also Obi Wan's sound that he makes to scare the the Raiders Tuscan Raiders, away, yeah. um, and I didn't like it before. But then Mandalorian changed my mind on it because I'm like, well, this is an Obi-Wan Kenobi who's just trying to match the sound of a crate dragon. And so it didn't bother me as much when when I watched it this time, um, which is probably a good thing because those are the things that I don't think I should be critical over anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I really, really enjoyed from a story perspective is the story told by Luke mm. through this movie. Okay. I noticed that he has a lot of the same qualities that his father had mm. uh, in his his quest to help people. His, his ability to be understanding at times and to not go over the edge as a first resort and what I mean by that is that even if we look at R2, um, R2 was a was a jerk to Luke. Um, <laughs> more than I think people would probably admit or even care. Um, but Luke was, I mean, okay, he's not happy that he has to clean up these droids. Fine. 
Um, that should be something that is understood. I don't think I would want to do that either if I wanted to go to see my friends, right? You know, who are in the Tashi station, but like any 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 time that R two and Luke interacted within the first thirty minutes of the movie, it is clear that R two is very secretive mm-hmm. and 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 rightly so. Um, but he also like tricks Luke into taking off his um, restraining bolt, right? To say, oh, if you take it off, then I'll show you the full message of Princess Leia, and that in order to find out more gets it removed so that way he can escape and leave and complete his mission of, of finding Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And so when he does that um, and he runs off, C-3PO says, you're lucky that he doesn't blast you into a million pieces right here. And Lucas is like, whoa, 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 it, it, it's okay. Uh, we should probably get out of here though. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like, ah, that's, that's a lot more understanding than maybe I would be. I would, even if I didn't do it, I would still be like, I would say something else, but he's very calm and all this kinds of stuff. And I don't know. I just really enjoyed that. But also like on the Death Star, when he is, when he finds out that the princess is there, he says, we have to, we have to help her. Right. His willingness to help others who are in real danger is, is something that matches his father. Or even like his uh, kind of, his his undeterred hope in being able to do what mm-hmm. is right, like whenever yeah. they're just about to go off and uh, do the Death Star run, and everybody's kind of naysaying and, and saying that it's this what you're asking us to do is impossible, uh, and of course Even he has the famous line, "It's not impossible." I used to bullseye womp rats back home with my t- six with my. Mm, with my I used two, to bullseye womp rats home. with my T sixteen back home. They're not much more than a meter. But even with that, like with his, un, like like just his his complete like sense of hope throughout this film, he also has a complete sense of devotion to Ben, which I really enjoy. Like again, it, it, and I'm again I'm viewing this from the lens of watching through all these movies, like Ben Kenobi is luke's master yeah like his jedi master and unofficially he luke is a padawan you know right not really like that set in stone but you have this master padawan relationship between the two to where kenobi tells the entire team of han Chewie, and luke along with the droids is just like i don't think you boys can can help this is something like right. I have to do alone. Yeah, he has to go on his own, yeah. And Luke's just like, no, but I want to go with you. Uh, and yeah. and just like his his complete devotion to Kenobi as his master. And also just like, this is the guy who rescued me from Tatooine, in a sense. Uh, who, right. who gave me a life of significance. Uh, of being something more than what I am now. Uh, and so I... Those things just really, really, again, just encaptures what this, what these six films are supposed, like, like, what all these movies really are supposed to do with one another. It connects every trilogy together in a beautiful way. Right. And if I can go back to that, that scene that you were talking about where uh, Obi-Wan says that he has to kind of do something on his own, mm-hmm. he, he says something along the lines of like, 
we're we're on different paths now or something like that 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 yeah. kind of terminology is used a, a few different times yeah uh and and i would just like to do a little kind of uh a section about kind of some uh, some of my observations on the force in this movie yeah go ahead right. so one of the the biggest things that i saw in this one is it's a high kind of view of the force as a guiding power uh what is the okay so the the first kind of so we get a few different descriptions because it's a big concept that we're that we're having to teach the audience like the first description is obi-wan saying that it's like it's the energy that binds all living creatures together but then later on uh in the millennium falcon i think we get a more clear and like unique perspective on it that we don't really see as much in the other movies in that um, he talks about how uh, it's whenever Luke is going off against the remote droid and uh, Obi-Wan tells him that uh, the force guides you and the force in a way kind of controls your actions partially, but that it also obeys your commands. And so, and then Han says, like, in his kind of atheism, says that he doesn't believe that there's any kind of guiding power that uh, is in control of his life, that he's kind of the master of his own fate. And so I think it's interesting that in in this episode, we really see, like, the Force has a direction that it's going in. Like, it has a will and it has something that it is controlling. And I think mm-hmm. we see a lot of that in like the different coincidences and the the moments of luck, which of course Obi Wan doesn't believe in throughout <laughs> right. this movie. Yeah, such such as uh, the droids being on like the droids being captured by the uh, Jawas, who then go to the Lars homestead to sell them to the family of the son of Darth Vader. That's a uh, it's a pretty big coincidence, um, too big of a coincidence, and. Uh, I I think there's really this focus on uh, the Jedi are the ones who who allow the Force to move and and respond in in direction with that, but then the Sith, on the other hand, they're the ones who, rather than focus on being partially controlled by the Force, they are the ones who are trying to command the Force and and kind of put their will over on it. That's why you always see uh, Darth Vader. He he refers to the the light side members in this movie as having the Force with them. Whenever he talks about Obi Wan, he says Obi Wan is here and the Force is with him. And then whenever he is right behind Luke, he says the the Force is strong with this one, and different things like that. And I don't think he's talking about Force sensitivity. I think he's talking about the will of the Force. Um, but it's, I think it's interesting to point out that the will of the Force, I think, also keeps Vader alive in this movie. Because he could have been blown up by the Death Star, but whenever Han comes shooting in, one of the TIE fighters hits him and he goes spinning off into space. Not dead, but still alive. Because he's still, they're still good in him and they're still needed later on. Yeah, and, and I love that you brought this up because... Even in Han's disbelief, 
it doesn't discount even the role that the force has had in his life also. Right. Um, because like Kenobi said, you know, the force is in all living things, you know, binding everything together, including non-believers, if, if you want to put it in that kind of, um, mm-hmm. in, in those kinds of terms. B- because like you said, there's no such thing really as coincidences. It, like the force guides everything the will of the forces is done whether someone knows it or not. Um, right. And, and even like the way that I view, uh, I probably want to say this. So I'll just mention this one thing. Uh, we can talk about it some other time, but when we talk about the balance of the force, right. What does that mean? What does that Honestly, look that, like? That deserves a whole episode on its own, I think. It, it really does. And, and I think it is important because what we recognize here is that darkness is never eradicated. That's always the goal of the Jedi. But the reality is, is that there are beings uh, that gravitate towards the dark side of the Force. Uh, yeah. Right, and especially when you're reading the High Republic content, that becomes evident. That becomes pretty clear that the dark side always has a presence. Um, it's just the strength of the impact that it has on the galaxy differs from time period to time period. It's always there, um, and in terms of this film, the Force is presented in a way to where. There is a clear distinction, but it also had it establishes the the impact that the force has on the galaxy as a whole. It's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of subtle and not really discussed and like fleshed out. Like this is not a movie that explains. Okay, this is what the force is. This is how it works. This and this and that. But when we talk about a new hope and its impact, it establishes kind of this very subtly just the fact that the force is supposed to be something that it's it's regardless of belief or unbelief it's there and it's present um and the fact that partially like it controls your actions but partially partially but also obeys your commands it is a almost sort of like a a relationship almost sort of like Mm -hmm. um something to where you Okay, what is the best embodiment of that? We've seen it in The Phantom Menace with Qui-Gon Jinn. Right. Um, And we see still the lessons of that kind of impacting Kenobi as he shares it with Luke. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) this is a fun rewatch series because I think really for the first time, I'm making these connections. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's it's good to cuz we even we even thought about like the entire saga whenever we first started doing the podcast, but I I think we didn't go as as deep. It was it was really kind of kind of survey level yes. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and so getting to go deeper into it is has been really fruitful, I think. Um speaking of continuities and and we were talking about the kind of character of han in this movie is especially as it pertains to his view on the force Mm -hmm. um i was really struck by this watch how much it is that 
Han is is literally just kind of the same Han that we see in Solo, a Star Wars story, just with a little bit more experience, kind mm-hmm. of on his own with him and Chewie. Yeah. Um, and and not just that, but I also saw a parallel between kind of him and Tobias uh, in this movie. Yeah. Because at the end of Solo, Tobias is like wanting to uh, leave after the Kessel Run and just run away, and and he asks Han to join him. But Han says no because he's going to help out these people and he's going to kind of do mm. the right thing. Yeah. And so we see the same kind of question that Han asks Luke is like, hey, we would love to have you on board, um, but we're not going to stay and, and fight this fight against the Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Luke decides to go on ahead anyways. And we see Han kind of redeem himself as kind of a better Tobias because Beckett goes to the enemy's side with all the information that he knows. But Han comes back and, and helps the, the right people. Yeah. I, and I think that's a really good distinction, especially again, this is where we talk about, I think this is where the anthology films leaves its mark that are not appreciated enough because you look at the distinction between Solo and Beckett, the fact that Beckett then ends up doing the right thing, but also you see the the spark of the rebellion in Rogue One to where you look at kind of the hopelessness that was found in the rebellion or by the rebellion even after discovering the plans that they're on Scarif. And the idea is that there is no hope. We can't go and help. We can't go and accomplish this mission. It looks impossible. So then you have the team of Rogue One. They said, okay, well, we're going to do it ourselves. They accomplished this mission. Okay, once they get the Death Star plans and a new hope, everyone is saying, that's impossible. Like, how are we going to be able to pull? How, where are good our snub fighters against that? You know, and you yeah. get all these kind of complaints and protests and, and everything. But everyone still goes and does the job that they're given because they mm-hmm. know that there's hope. They're, they, they've, they've recently just experienced it. Um, and that's when Rogue One just really helps this movie in understanding just how far the rebellion had come. Right. And that we, we didn't know that. Um, and I would it, say that our understanding of Rogue One and New Hope and the rebellion there is going to be, and I, I foresee it being very instructive in how we should approach the resistance in the sequels. Ooh. Um, because yeah. we have an example in Rogue One where the the rebels are losing hope, but then through the sacrifice of a few, they, they gain hope, and we see that hope played out in A New Hope. I'm sorry. That's a lot of there's a lot of hope. A lot of hopes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's it's important though because we don't we want to see parallels because that's what Star Wars does. Star Wars is like poetry; it rhymes. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to see the exact same plot points piece by piece. Yeah. And so, in a way, it's not possible for the sequels to have this same response by the the Resistance, Mm -hmm. like the Last Jedi is is different because it ends on a stalemate it doesn't yeah. end with there's not a uh, victory exactly yeah 
It's not like it's not. It's like a stalemate, but the the first order is still higher up because the resistance is is dead and dying. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Which we can talk about when we get to like the last Jedi. But even I'm I'm, I'm kind of scared, you know. <laughs> what are you scared of? Uh, I'm. There's a lot of people who just love to hate everything, and um, yeah, it it makes me question if I'm actually like being a good critic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and what I'll say, even briefly, just about the last Jedi, or even when looking at the sequels, they're not my favorite, and I can find a right. lot of things that I don't like about it. But also, I also can find where it really just helps build this amazing story at the, at the same time and something that we shouldn't just discard. Um, yeah. And I mean, and we'll get to that whenever we talk about the sequel trilogy. Um, but just as we kind of continue and, you know, start to wind to a close about this, uh, Alicia w- was talking through the movie with me and her favorite character actually in this film was governor Tarkin. Really? Uh, she, That's, I respect that. She she really, really liked him just because of, I think, just the way that he carried himself, the way that he presented himself uh, in, yeah. in this film. Uh, it was very interesting. But who was your favorite character in this movie? Ooh. I know that's um, a very tough question, but who's your I favorite? I don't know exactly if he's my favorite, but a character that I wish that I had gotten to see more of was big Stark lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just such a warm guy. And it's like, you can tell there's a lot of history between him and Luke yeah. and it sucks that he dies in, in <laughs> the attack. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree to see that. See and more of him. Probably something that I will talk about more. I think this was the movie where I was going to talk about it. The deleted scenes in this movie yeah were really good and especially biggs the scene for biggs that was taken out of the movie i would have liked to see that put back in i understand why he didn't do that um Mm -hmm. and that didn't really fit with how the film was cut and all of that yeah i just think it really highlights who biggs was going to be Mm mm-hmm in this film um he was going to be the one he was really other than kenobi he was really the first person in luke's life who really had a genuine and visible affection and appreciation and supported luke yeah well and i think in a lot of ways uh he was luke's role model he wanted to go to the yes academy Mm mm-hmm no, absolutely. So I, I, so for me, when I look at those scenes, I would like to consider them canon. Uh, it just didn't make them into like the cut of right. the actual movie. But for some of the, I think that is one of the scenes that I would like to cut out. I would like to take in, look at it, and say, okay, I, I consider this to be canon. And even if that's just my own head canon, like not everyone needs to carry that belief and carry that kind of thought process. That okay. The deleted scenes are also canon, but for me, I think that's something that I really just appreciated about who Biggs was going to be in this movie, and and, and for that, I oh man, I'm I gonna really cry. Like I'm yeah. looking at the wiki, and there's a deleted scene where he says, uh, "Oh, this is probably okay. This is probably um, no, 
I don't know. I don't know if this is before or after Biggs leaves Tatooine. But Luke uh, says, take it easy, buddy. You'll always be the best friend I ever had in a deleted scene from A New Hope. No, that was... Th- yeah, that was on Tatooine. That was the last time that they kind of talked before. Okay. Yeah, but before. even... But I feel so that was the words still scene. apply. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes me sad. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, that was good. Yeah. I think for me, Luke Skywalker yeah. has to be my favorite character just because he he is everything that i that i mm-hmm. want in a hero he has everything and especially when we look at the empire strikes back that that theme is going to continue of he is the hero that everyone really needed right. at the time uh, especially when going through the original trilogy Luke embodies everything that we would ever hope to be just as human beings. Um, and I think the way that his story is told is beautiful. Um, and w- again, we talk about this theme of heroes having to go through difficult times in order to become who they are. And for him, he never knew his mother, never knew his father. His aunt and uncle were killed. He loses Ben Kenobi. Through all that, he is still yeah. a beacon of hope, uh, and saves the rebellion at the end of, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Um, that is the Luke Skywalker that a lot of people cling to and hold on to. Um, for some, it's unfortunate that they can't kind of open their minds and to see another yeah. Luke Skywalker, in, especially in, in a way. In, in a way, they trilogy. kind of deify him so that like he's incapable of doing wrong, which makes them incapable of mm-hmm. accepting the Last Jedi as being a thing. Yes, and and that's unfortunate, but I think I, I agree with them in this sense that in the original trilogy, Luke is the hero that I think everyone needed at the time in '77 mm-hmm. and also now. Um, and like you said, this movie holds up very, very well with with the, that whole idea of yeah. Luke Skywalker, you know. Um, but yeah, so this one I, is a is an easy question for me because there was one scene that really stuck out to me that I said, man, this is an awesome Mm -hmm. scene. Like I love it. Um, but the, I I guess in terms of, we always present what, what our favorite scene was for me, it is, um, the one where Luke receives the message or sees half the message of princess Leia. And it had no, really had nothing to do with Luke. It had everything to do with C-3PO mm-hmm. and R2-D2. Um, just after he takes off the restraining bolt and he's like, hey, where'd he go? Go Bring play back. back the entire message. And he's like, what? And he's like, what message? The the message you've been hoping in your rusted yeah. innards. Like that entire dialogue and in, 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 by um, C-3PO and R2, he says, just waiting to repeat that message. Then, like, again, I love love watching these movies with my wife because uh, she, like, says what we all think R2 said through his beeps and boops of just, like, do you think he likes me? No, I don't think he likes you at all. Do you like me? I don't like you either. No, I don't (laughs) like you either. Um, And so that's probably my favorite scene Uh, in this movie. I actually appreciated C-3PO's dialogue in this movie more than I think I ever have. Um, (sighs) There was a a part that I never noticed before 
um, whenever he's talking to uh, Uncle Owen. Uh, and because I had subtitles on, I saw that uh, <laughs> Owen tells him shut up, and then C three PO says shutting up, sir. <laughs> shutting up, sir. <laughs> uh, which I think is just is classic. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it, it's, he gets uh, a lot yeah. of good dialogue, and it's funny how I, th- I think this movie does humor really well, um, uh-huh. because he's just it always does. interrupted <laughs> at every single point. Yeah. Um, uh, uh-huh. For me, my favorite scene is, is for New Hope is has always been and will forever be the binary sunset there's just it's just too powerful of a scene other than that um the conversation between obi-wan and luke but yeah 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 so will you say that binary sunset is also your favorite track from the score because again this is this is the most iconic because it starts it starts all the themes that you're going to hear everywhere so and and that's the thing like the force Mm -hmm. theme luke's theme uh which is what people assume is you know the force theme also we see it all these years later in the mandalorian Mm -hmm. once luke shows up um and if i did not cry (laughs) whenever that music plays when Luke takes off the hood in oh, yeah. the, the season finale of the Mandalorian. And like that is how much this score, this score specifically a new hope, how it really just impacted everything of star Wars. Like there, you, there's not enough to say about that and, and how well it did. Yeah. I think, um, I think my favorite, I, I always think that that is a, a great, and, and, I, and I, Binary Sunset, which on the updated new version of A New Hope soundtrack, it's called The Princess Appears. If you want to, if you need mm-hmm. to know where that's at, that's where it's found. My favorite track is probably The Return Home. Yeah. Which is played after Luke goes back to Ben Kenobi when his parents, when his not parents, but his aunt and uncle are killed and talking to him about, I want to become a Jedi like my father. Mm -hmm. I just think it fits really well. And I always love listening to the soundtrack because it's star Wars. Like it's what it is, you know? Well, that was a fun conversation about a a really great movie, a, a movie that really just kind of, really just tugged at my heartstring from the standpoint of this movie is really how I fell in love with star mm-hmm. Wars. Cause this is the first movie that I think I've ever, I ever saw. And, and for the vast majority of people, that's, that's how it is. Like mm-hmm. even whenever the prequels or the sequels came out, like I'm sure there's yeah. some people who started with force awakens and some people who started with phantom menace, but it like, the original trilogy has such a kind of cult following that even whenever those new movies come out, like the, the, the parents and the family who watch the new hope are like, okay, no, we have to watch all of these three before we can kind of, before you're able to appreciate or watch a previous. And I, I think my opinion on that has changed, obviously, Especially after this rewatch series, I think if someone who has never seen Star Wars before and 
knows nothing about it. I think they should start with the Phantom Menace. Really? Um, I do. I do believe that because I think they should watch the Phantom Menace all the way through Rise of Skywalker, yes. and then they should watch them all again so that they get all the references that are being made in in the prior movies. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so just watch nine. Just watch uh, eighteen movies. No. No, nine plus two, 11, so twenty-two. Eleven. Well, but watch them twice, though. Oh yeah, watch them in twenty. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, and I guess whenever we finally do, it, it's coming after probably after the rewatch series. But when we talk about what is canon mm-hmm. in Star Wars, I think I'll probably explain that further of why I believe that. Um, but that's just something that I think I recently just fell into believing. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, you're just right. Because I, think, I, think the I appreciate episode, how it builds. Canon episode will be a good time to to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Luke, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. It's always a blast to talk Star Wars with you. Um, any last comments or thoughts as we look to preview, as we look to review Empire Strikes Back? I feel like I went hardcore nerd and um, like sentimental on this one, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in. Uh, <laughs> empire strikes back yes uh it's gonna be so good and joining us for that episode making his debut here on the gazebo effect podcast is my father oh david gonzalez senior he's gonna be joining us this is his favorite star wars not senior he's the first Um, uh, yeah you're right because i'm david gonzalez the second yeah that's right um but he's actually going to be joining us on that episode. I'm really excited to talk with him about that. Um, it's going to be a very fun conversation, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, also, on Wednesday, th- this episode is going to release on Monday. Um, on Wednesday, we have the third installment of Marvel Monthly with Spencer, Tim, and Cole. And so be on the lookout for that. But until next time, when we review The Empire Strikes Back, this has been David Gonzalez for Luke Forney. We are the Star Wars historians here on the Gazebo Effect podcast. Until next time, may the Force be with you. Always.